0: Well, every time that I get into my car, I'm haunted by that little sticker that's in the top right-hand corner. You know the one that's been put there by your mechanic to tell you how many Ks left you have before you need a service? You see, I have reason to be haunted because I didn't heed its warning and therefore I suffered the consequences. Tegan and I, we used to own a blue Kia Carnival, and a couple of years ago, it was you know, the, it was time for a service to come due and I was every time I got in my car, I would look up to that sticker and I would think, man, I've got to go this week and take my car in to be serviced. But every week I was just too busy and so I would ignore it. And then I got to the time where I was driving on borrowed time. You know what I mean? It was, it was now 1,000 over the limit, 2,000 over the limit, 3,000 over the limit, 4,000 over the limit. It finally got to when it was 10,000 k's past when I should have serviced the car. And every time I'd get in there, I would think, man, I hope, I hope I can get where I'm going. And, and next time, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to organize this week for the car to be serviced. Well, one day I jumped into the car and I was actually heading to uh, Jordan... Uh, and Elisa's little fair's wedding. And on my way to the wedding, the car sounded very sick, and you guessed it, it conked out on the side of the road, and there I was left stranded. See, many Christians, I think, are just like that. You see, faith is the engine that moves our Christian life forward. And yet many Christians neglect their faith. They don't tend to their faith. And so what ends up happening is they end up breaking down. Oh, they can drive for a time on empty, but eventually they break down and they're on the side of the road. And maybe that's where some of you are this morning. Maybe you're broken down on the side of the road. Oh, the outside looks good, but what's under the bonnet needs attention. So how can we grow our faith? How can we grow our faith so we can move forward in 2014? How can we strengthen our faith? Well, that's what I want to look at this morning. If you have your Bible, please open it up to Romans chapter 4 and verse 18. That's Romans chapter 4. If you don't own a Bible, we have Pew Bibles in the pew in front of you or in the pew behind you. And it's on page 942 in your Pew Bible. So get the Bible out, I suggest that you get it out and read along with me, so you're reading the Bible for yourself. And this is probably one of the greatest, this is probably the greatest chapter on faith in the whole Bible. And in this chapter, what Paul talks about is Paul talks about how to be justified by faith apart from works of the law. And he raises up Abraham as an example of someone who is justified by faith apart from the law. And in verses 18 to 25, Paul hones in on exactly what faith is. And this morning, we are going to see, if we're going to strengthen our faith, then first, we need to understand the nature of faith. Second, we need to recognize the source of doubt. And finally, we need to learn how to strengthen our faith. So let's have a look at that. How do we strengthen our faith? Well, first, we need to understand the nature of faith. What is faith? How do you define faith? Well, from this passage, I define faith this way. Faith is being fully convinced now that I have received or will receive what God has promised. Let me say that again. Faith is being fully convinced now that I have received or will receive what God has promised. Note down in verse 21, Paul talks about Abraham, the man of faith, And he says that Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. He wasn't 50% convinced. He wasn't 80% convinced. No, he was fully convinced. To be convinced means that you are certain that something is true. Now, this understanding of faith runs in the face of how many people define faith nowadays. Some people define faith as just having a positive, wishful attitude. You know, you've got to keep the faith. You've just got to believe. But I hate to tell you this. You can be positive all you like, but it doesn't matter if what you're being positive about isn't true. It doesn't matter. For example, I can be positive that the Australian selectors are going to ring me up and ask me to be the opening batsman for Australia. But after the recent Ashes conquest, there's no hope of that. Maybe beforehand, it might have been, you know. But now there's absolutely no hope that that's going to occur. So faith is not just having a positive attitude. Faith also isn't blind. Many people think that faith is like just taking a blind step in the dark. Mark Twain was an American author, and many people follow his definition of faith. Through one of his characters in one of his novels, he described faith this way. Faith is believing something you know ain't so. Many people define faith as being something that you believe in despite the evidence. But this is not biblical faith. As you can see, faith is being fully convinced that something is true. Now let me ask you a question. Do you believe that tomorrow the sun is going to rise? Are you fully convinced that tomorrow the sun is going to rise? All right, put up your hand if you're fully convinced. All right, some people don't have their hands up. Now, why are you fully convinced that tomorrow the sun is going to rise? Because you have reasons, you have evidence in your own personal history every day of your life. The sun has risen in the morning. There's scientific evidence. The earth revolves around the sun and it rotates in a 24-hour period. I just had to just think about that. But there are reasons to believe that the That the the sun is going to rise tomorrow. You see, faith is being fully convinced that something is true. Now, what is biblical faith about? What is biblical faith convinced of? Well, the object of our faith is God and his promises. Notice in verse 18, we see the object of Abraham's faith. Look in verse 18. We read, in hope, he believed against hope. Are there any people here who are in a hopeless situation? Are there any people here who feel like their back is against the wall? Well, then you're in the same situation that Abraham was in. And yet he believed. And what did he believe? He believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. Abraham believed that there would be many nations that would come from he and Sarah. And why did he believe this? Well, look at what it says in verse 18. He believed that he would become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. See, one day God came to Abraham in Genesis 15. We read this and he took him outside and he said, see the stars in the heavens, as many as the stars in the heavens, so shall your offspring be. God made him a promise. You see, the object of our faith is God and his promises. So faith is being fully convinced now that you have received or will receive what God has promised. And isn't this the way that you became a Christian if you are a Christian? You became fully convinced that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, that he rose from the dead, and that God had given you eternal life, and therefore you became a Christian. But here's the thing. The Bible says that not only are we justified by faith, meaning not only are we declared to be right in God's eyes by faith, but the Bible says that we are to live by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says this, We do not walk by what we see, but by faith. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by By faith. So let me ask you a question. I'm not asking you whether you are saved, whether you have been justified by faith. I'm asking you, do you live by faith? Do you live daily by consciously depending upon God in your life? You see, I was thinking this week, how different would my life look like if I was fully convinced? Not 50% convinced. Not 80% convinced, but fully convinced that I had received or will receive from God what he had promised. You see, what would my life look like if I was fully convinced that Jesus' blood had cleansed me from all sin, all past, present and future sin? Well, you know, I wouldn't go out and try to self-atone through religious exercise, but I would approach each day knowing that I'm accepted with God, that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I would respond to him in love and gratitude. Or what if you were fully convinced? I'm not talking about 50% or 80%. I'm talking about being fully convinced that God is the king of the universe that he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. That your life is in his hands. Well then, man, I would live my life with a sense of peace that surpasses all understanding. Or what if I was or what if you were fully convinced that you are in fact dead to sin and alive to God? Then you would live in 2014 different, wouldn't you? See, I want to put forward to you that many Christians, and this might be you, they say they live by faith, but they really live by their works. Yeah, we trust Jesus for salvation after we die, but how do we cope with our life? We cope with our life by our own works, by our own selves. So how do you grow your faith? How do you strengthen your faith? We've got to understand the nature of faith. Faith is being fully convinced now that I have received or will receive what God has promised. But secondly, we've got to recognize the source of doubts. I mean, why do we doubt? Why are we, like Peter, sometimes slipping beneath the waves when Jesus is right there in front of us and he's calling us, come out and walk on the water, my child? What causes us to doubt? Well, I think from this passage... That doubt is when we live by what we see rather than by what God has said. We doubt when we live by what we see rather than by what God has said. Now, if there was anyone who had cause to doubt, it was Abraham. Look down in verse 19 in your Bibles. It reads, he did not weaken in faith. Abraham didn't weaken in faith. But he had cause to weaken in faith. What was his cause? We'll look at the end of the verse. When he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Now, Abraham was no fool. Abraham was no fool. He considered what his own body was like. He was about 100 years old. And he recognized, you know, typically you don't see senior citizens having children, right? And he looked at himself and he thought, I'm as good as dead. And then he looked at Sarah and he thought, I love you, honey, but you're as good as dead too. So Abraham was no fool. He knew what was going on. And you see, sometimes we romanticize Abraham and Sarah. But these people were real people. Do you know what Abraham's name means? It means the father of many nations. Can you imagine what it would have been like for Abraham? He had many cattle and he had wells when merchants would come down and bring their livestock down to the well. And they would turn to him and they would say, what's your name? And he would say, well, my name's Abraham. And they would say, oh, the father of many nations. Where are all your children? Where are all your offspring? And he would sort of say, "Uh, well, um, I don't have any yet, but God has given me this name. And this promise. And you can imagine how those merchants would scoff him and mock him. Or can you imagine what it would be like year after year after year after year for Abraham and Sarah as the years passed and any any reason to believe by any natural cause that they would have a child slipped into the distant past? You see, we doubt when we walk by what we see rather than by what God has said. See, he didn't wake weaken in faith because he wasn't living by what he saw but rather by what God had said. Growing up, I was I went to primary school and I used to get picked up from primary school at three, uh, quarter past three every day by the bus and I used to catch the bus home. And uh, so... The bell would go at three o'clock and the bus would come at quarter past three. And this one particular afternoon, my mum turned to me and she said, Timon, I don't want you to catch the bus home from school today. Um, I want you to wait in the playground after school and I'll come and pick you up at four o'clock in the afternoon and I'm going to take you out to go clothes shopping. Now, this was a reason for great rejoicing because I grew up in a large family and you know, I was really looking forward to going out and buying some fluoro board shorts because they, they were really in in the 80s. And so, you know, I was looking forward to it. And so the bell went at 3 o'clock, and I was filled with joy as I was going to wait for my mum to come at 4 and pick me up. Now, quarter past 3 came, and all of my friends left, and the playground emptied, and there was just me alone on the playground, and they left, and they went on the bus, and they went home. And there I was all by myself. And I was starting to be filled with a bit of fear, but it's okay, because my mum had promised that she was going to come, and she was going to pick me up at 4 o'clock. Well, 3.45 came, and all the teachers started to leave, and then I was filled with great intrepidation. You see, because I, like most kids, believe that teachers just lived at school, (laughs) and now they're leaving. Well, at 3.55, it got even worse because the principal left, and as the principal's walking out, he noticed me on the playground, and he turned to me, and he said, Timon, what are you still doing here? And I said to him, Well, I'm waiting for my mum. She's going to come and pick me up at four, and we're going to go out clothes shopping. And he said, Are you sure? You know, the voice of the devil. Are you sure I can give you a lift home? And I said, No, I'm sure. I'm sure my mum's coming at four o'clock. Well, four o'clock came, and my mum was nowhere to be seen. And I was starting to shake, I was starting to cry. By 4.01, I was starting to think, You idiot, Timon! I mean, was it really today? Did she really say that it was going to happen this afternoon? Or or was it tomorrow? Or was it the next day? By 4.02, I had completely lost it and I was thinking, You idiot, you should have gone home at quarter past three with your friends. At the very least, you should have taken the lift home with the principal. Well, by 4.03, my mum arrived. And she came and she got me and we went out and I bought some Billabong fluoro shorts. It was awesome. <laughs> but why did I start to doubt? I started to doubt because I was living according to what I was seeing. The playground was now empty. The bus had now left. The teachers had left. The principal had left. And I was there by myself. I was living by what I was seeing and I had forgotten what my mother had said. See, and this is why you and I doubt, is because we live by what we see in our lives often, rather than by what God has said. God, I know you can give me a peace that surpasses all understanding, but you have no idea, God, what my situation is like. I know, God, that you can give me joy, unspeakable joy, but you have no idea what is happening in my life. God, I know that you have given me freedom from sin through the cross, but you don't know how temptation comes and grips me. See, we shouldn't walk by what we see, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So if you're going to strengthen your faith this year, you need to make a commitment. I'm not going to walk by what I see. I'm going to walk by what God has said in his word. So how do we strengthen our faith? We strengthen our faith by understanding the nature of faith. Faith is believing now that I have received or will receive what God has promised I need to understand the source of doubt. Doubt comes when I walk by what I see rather than what God has said. But still, how do I strengthen my faith? Well, this is really cool because the answer is in the text. That's where the answers always are. They're always in the Bible. So look down in your Bibles in verse 20. This is really great. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. Abraham didn't waver. Now, as we read the story of Abraham in the Genesis narratives, we know that he did have some struggles with his faith, but he never wavered in faith. And why didn't he waver? Look in verse 29 or verse 20. It says, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Underline that in your Bible. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. We strengthen our faith in the promises of God by giving glory to God. Let me say that again. We strengthen our faith in the promises of God by giving glory to God. You see, Abraham's thinking to himself, my body's as good as dead. And Sarah's, her womb's as good as dead. But that's okay because look in verse 17. It says, the one whom I believed, he gives life to the dead. And he calls into existence the things that do not exist. You want to strengthen your faith in the promises of God? Remember the one who made those promises. Remember the God who called you. That he is the one who can give life to the dead. That he is the one who can create all of this world out of nothing. And if he can do that, then he can keep his promise to you. I want to read you a little story right now. And it's not in the right place on my iPad. Don't you hate that? Found it. Robert Dick Wilson was one of the great professors at Princeton Theological Seminary. And one of his students had been invited to preach in Miller Chapel 12 years after his graduation. And old Dr. Wilson came in and he sat down near the front And at the close of the meeting, the old professor came up to his former student, cocked his head to one side in his characteristic way, extended his hand and said, if you come back again, I will not come to hear you preach. Imagine your professor saying that to you. If you come back here, I'm not going to hear you preach. He says, uh, Wilson went on to say, I only come once. I'm glad that you are a big godder. When my boys come back, I come to see if they are big godders or little godders, and then I will know what their ministry will be. His former student asked him to explain, and he replied, Well, some men have a little god, and they're always in trouble with him. He can't do any miracles. He can't take care of the inspiration and transmission of Scripture to us. He doesn't intervene on behalf of his people. They have a little god, and I call them little godders. Then there are those who have a great god, He speaks and it is done. He commands and it stands fast. He knows how to show himself strong on behalf of them that fear him. You have a great God and he will bless your ministry. And he paused for a moment, smiled and said, God bless you, and turned and walked out. I want to ask you, what type of Christian are you? A Christian who has a big God or a Christian who has a little God? You see, many Christians I've met, they have a little God. And what I mean by that is God can take care of my salvation after I die, but he can't take care. He's not big enough to take care of my present situation, of my present problems. How do you strengthen your faith in God? You strengthen your faith in God by giving glory to him. See, maybe you're struggling right now with peace in your situation. Fall on your face before the God who is king of the world, who speaks and it's done. Maybe you're struggling with worldly temptations that are assaulting your soul. Fall on your face before the God who is glorious, who is beautiful, who is more beautiful than anything else, so that your heart will be melted towards him. You see, there is a direct connection between the size of your faith and your worship. If you're not worshipping God for who He is, then your faith will be small. So as we begin 2014, let's be a church that has a big God, that worships the God who sent His only Son to die on our behalf, demonstrating how much he loves us. But the God who just didn't leave him dead, the God who had the power to raise him from the dead, that's the God that I serve. And therefore, if he is capable of doing that, he's capable of keeping all of his promises to you and to me. Strengthen your faith in the promises of God by worshipping God. You live, if you look at the life of Abraham, there's one thing that you'll notice over and over again is he was a man who built, built altars. is when God spoke to him, he built an altar and he worshiped. What type of person are you? When God blesses you, do you build an altar, get on your face and give glory and honor to him? Or do you just casually let the moments Pass by. God has blessed us so much as a church in 2013. And as we look to 2014, it's time for us to build some altars. It's time for us to get on our face before God and worship Him for the God who is. And thank Him and honor Him for His blessings to us. And I tell you, as we do that, our hearts and our faith will be enlarged In the God who says all things are possible with me. Come on, let's stand up. Let's worship the God who is. The God who raises the dead. The God who calls things into existence. Oh, Father, we come before you today. Lord, we come weak and poor. But, Lord, we come to a God who is very strong, who has all resources, who can handle all situations. We thank you, Father, that nothing is impossible with you. And right now, Father, we place our lives in your hands, Father, in faith, believing, Lord, that you will take our life. You will protect it and you will use it for your purposes and your honour. Let's sing this song together and affirm that Christ is our hope. and He is everything to us. We hope you enjoyed this sermon. Again, if you would like any information about the life at OBC, please go to our website at www.oaktonbaptist.org.au